we're talking about the Pilgrim's Progress. Everyone say the Pilgrim's Progress. A journey through First and Second Peter. And why do we call it the Pilgrim's Progress? Well, if you look in verse 1, he uses this terminology. In fact, he and the writer of Hebrews are the only two that use this word to describe us. And it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims of the dispersion. Now, uh, pilgrim means temporary residence, the sojourners. Look over in chapter 2, um, uh, down in verse 11, he said, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. Now, why is he calling them this? Uh, the reason is, is because they were persecuted. They used to, uh, their home 20, if you will, used to be in Jerusalem and in, in places, uh, you know, where their livelihood was and persecution came. Uh, let me just stop and say, let me just tell you this about, about the world we live in. It won't get better. We've seen traumatic things, things that have grieved me to the core about our, our nation. Uh, the, the rainbow got hijacked. I just have to say that. Uh, how many of God's gave the rainbow and it was a promise that he would never destroy us with water again? Uh, but I've got a feeling he could destroy us some other way. Are you with me? And so, we, we, it's not going to get better, but let me tell you something. The darkness will get darker, darker, but the light of God will become brighter. The contrast becomes more and more evident. And people who are on the fence, you need to say, I'm going to prophesy here a little bit. The people who are on the fence in their walk with God, all of a sudden they're going to have to choose. Am I going to, am I going to follow him or am I going to back away? And the, and the Hebrew says, God has no pleasure in those who draw back. We saw that Sunday when we when we started uh, Jesus' journey, uh, John six. Uh, many of them, when they heard the hard saying, they they followed him no longer. And so it's not going to get it's not going to get better. The world around us is not going to get better. It's it's going to you know, gosh. And so we need to realize that. And these people were experiencing traumatic times, and they had been persecuted. And persecution's going on right now around the world, Christians. And so we need to realize that this is certainly applicable to us. Uh, and so he, he wants them to remind, remind them, and I do, and the scripture does, uh, that uh, the fact that word pilgrim means temporary residence. Everyone say temporary residence. Planet Earth. Hey, if you want to get a, Pastor Sam's quote, one of his, uh, you know, lifelong quotes, Planet Earth's the shortest amount of time you'll ever live anywhere. Lindsay, did you realize that? I mean, I tell you, is, uh, eternity is a long time. And so we've got to be prepared. And so that's why Paul Peter is writing this letter. And so I gave a theme, and the theme is this. Progressing through this life into that life in the face of adversity and pressure. They were ex experiencing adversity and pressure. Listen, the church universal across the board is experiencing uh, pressure and, and, and struggle. And, and man, this, this last thing with the Supreme Court ruling, uh, you know, it has brought up, uh, man, it has stirred up the, 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 the difference. Uh, and let me just, if you want me to throw this out to you, how many of you know God loves everybody? Amen. But according to Scripture, homosexuality is not a biblical model to follow. It is sin. Doesn't mean, how many of you know adultery is sin? Sin is sin. And, and 
God didn't say, He didn't create Adam and Steve. It was Adam and Eve. Okay, He gave us a model. God is a family man. Uh, and He created, in fact, the first thing He did after, in fact, it's all male and female. You got it? We all know that. Uh, and so, uh, so you need to realize that there is, there is, there is a greater contrast coming and as a result, greater conflict coming. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's a challenge to us. So, so we've got to press through this life. In fact, into that life. And so here they are in all their trouble and their struggle. And man, Peter, uh, Peter pipes up. I've been saying that a lot. He pipes up and he says, you need to understand something. Verse four, chapter one, that we have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Somebody say amen. Tell somebody around you, I'm on my way to heaven from Beaumont, Texas tonight. You never know. It may be tonight. You never know. Amen. Should I leave this life? You need to understand something. I'm in a better place. Amen. And so uh, we're on our way into eternity with Christ. This world is temporary. And so we've talked about, we've gone through chapter one. Uh, we've gone through chapter two. Uh, let me rehearse for you chapter two from last week because it's going to build on chapter. I'm really going to kind of give you a snapshot of something in chapter three and four uh, uh, tonight. But let me just kind of review with you chapter two. Uh, and it was this, we talked about uh, a God honoring life. And so when you look at chapter two, uh, there's three or four or five spots there. We looked at them where it references living a life that honors God. How many of you know it's all about him? Amen. And we want to live a life and Paul, Peter comes along and he keeps, and he says, listen, in this journey, you've got to live a life that, that brings honor and glory to God. Because how many of you know, uh, in fact, especially you that are here on Sunday mornings as we're going through a life God rewards, how many of you know what you do on planet earth will affect you for all eternity? Sure good to have the griders back. I've been missing it. They've been off partying. Aaron hadn't, but Miss Steve was in Las Vegas. I was worried about her. And I texted Aaron and said, hope she's not losing all your money down there over there. She came back and she came back still holy. Did she come back holy? Yeah, she did. <laughs> I'm playing with her. Amen. Well, hallelujah. People, I ask people, say, is it wrong to gamble? Not if you win. Is it wrong to, uh, uh, yeah, because, hey, the Bible says bring you all the tithes into the storehouse. You know, all your increase. So, uh, hey, if you, if you win the gazillion dollars at the, uh, buddy, I'll be the first person at your doorstep going, glory to God. <laughs> the Lord wants us to pay off this building and you have been blessed to help us do that. Amen. Uh, hallelujah. Don't you run and hide. Don't you run and hide because God sees you. Amen. Hallelujah. I don't know how I got off on that mistake. You just got me all messed up there. So uh, here we go. A lifestyle that honors God. I gave you five lifestyles just quickly. We won't go through them in scripturally, but, a it, but one of relational integrity. A life that honors God is one that is relationally integral. That's from verse one. And then verse two, it's a lifestyle of spiritual maturity. Talked about uh, spiritual growth. And then a lifestyle of intentional worship. That means we worship Him in the good times and the bad times. We don't just praise Him when everything's good. We praise Him in the dark. We praise Him in the night. 
Somebody say amen. An intentional work. You want to live a life that honors God? Be intentional about your worship. Get up in the morning and thank him. If you are at the lowest of lows, listen to me now. I'm preaching last week's message. If you're at the low place, you praise him in the high place. And he will, he will come and he will inhabit your praises. Uh, give me a amen over here in the little three people section over there. They're living a little re- rebellious over there by themselves. Oh, no, there's Roberta over there by herself. They're rebel, re- the re- rebels. And then, then it's a lifestyle of moral integrity. That's from verse, uh, uh 11. And then, it, then we talked about a lifestyle of submission to authority. Those are, those are lifestyles that we see in chapter two that are honoring to God. And so there's much more there. You can look at it and, and dig deeper, but that's where we were. With that in mind, we're going to go to chapter three and four. And I wish I had time just to read through it all. I, again, you're supposed to be doing that, right? You're doing that every week. You read through first and second Peter. Come on, look at you, look at me and say, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Well, tonight, if you didn't read through all of this, uh, because this is almost the way it seems to go because we're going to talk about getting your heart right with God and others because chapter three and four, uh, uh, we see a lot about, uh, getting, getting it all square on the inside right here, right here with God and with others. And I'll explain that momentarily. So let's make the transition because this is the lifestyle chapter two. This is the lifestyle that, 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 that you should live a lifestyle that honors God. Uh, because of that, let's get our hearts right with God and one another. Because if we don't have our hearts right with God and one another, we can't live this kind of life that honors God. Okay? So it begins on the inside. Everyone say it begins on the inside. So, so living in the life requires internal, uh, 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 fortitude and internal integrity uh, and a lifestyle uh, and, and getting our hearts right. How many of you know what I'm talking about when I say you got to get your heart right? You, you, we got issues that we've got to deal with and we've got to be relationally right hearted. And we'll see in verse 12 uh, in a little bit uh, that it's, it, he calls that the righteous. How many of you want to be the righteous? People who are, and we're all our righteousness is as filthy rags. But as those who have experienced, he gave us his righteousness. We live then and choose to live righteously. And we allow God into our heart and life and help us be right with him and right with others. And everybody said, amen. So with that in mind, let's jump in chapter three and chapter four. And here's where it begins. It begins with relationships with husbands and wives. And, I, and, and this, this could be a huge series and there are words in this that, that'll scare you. But let me just lady, ladies, it gives you five verses. It, this is interesting to me. It gives you six verses and it only gives the husband one. Now I'll just use my, uh, and, and maybe this is true. Maybe it isn't. Ladies are more detailed, right? They want the details. Guys, just give me the facts, right? And so that's, I just thought that up, but ladies, here we go. Wives likewise. Be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Did you get that? That's awesome. And when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, that's not, I'm scared of you. It's by, it's reverence and all. 
Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair wearing gold or putting on fine apparel. Now catch this. It's an attitude of the heart, right, ladies? He said, it's not just about how you look, man. And, and, and your husband always ought to think you look fine. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the inward beauty. He said, rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of who? In the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham. And oh, by the way, if you want to read that, that that might put the fear of God in you, ladies, because uh, one time I think Abraham lied, uh, I forget to who, and he gave up his wife, uh, as, as to somebody else, who was it? I can't remember, but, uh, man, I just go, ah, and she went along with it. And because of her willingness to just, Hey, I'm just trusting God here. God delivered her ladies. Everybody say, God will deliver me. Amen. It says whose daughters you are. If you do that, if you do good and not, are, and, and are not afraid of any terror. So ladies, let me just say to the, this to you. When it says husbands or wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, uh, it's an attitude of the heart. So we see Peter come along. He said, listen, here's a biggie. Here's a biggie. If you're going to live this life, a lifestyle that honors God, husbands and wives got to get this thing figured out and realize this is the inner attitude of the heart that you've got to have. It's not just about how you look on the outside. It's how you look on the inside. And oh, by the way, ladies, if you look right on the inside, guess who's going to notice? God's going to notice. It says it pleases him. And guess who's the second person is going to notice? Your husband. Are you with me? And so, listen, understand something. Uh, you know, it, it goes by, if you want uh, him to crown you as the queen, you got to crown him as the king and vice versa. And so I'm not here to just speak on husbands and wives, but understand this, that ladies, listen, uh, this is an attitude of the heart. We've got to get our hearts right with our spouse, with our husband, so our hearts can be right with God, all right? And then it says to the husbands, it says, husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding. Ladies, how many of you would appreciate a husband who has a little more understanding? Ladies, that was your chance right there. <laughs> I want to try where, ladies, how many of you would appreciate a husband who has a little more understanding? Now, I will tell you this, that, that they are mysterious, right, Josh? Women are mysterious. I'll never forget, years ago, before I was ever married, I was a college, maybe just right out of high school, we are in a, a, a an outreach, and Sonny Conancer's wife, she's not much older than I, but they were already married, and we were somewhere, and she was just sitting there crying. I said, Susan, what's wrong? She said, I don't know. I said, why are you crying? She said, I don't know. And I walked away going, I don't know either. That's just weird to me. You know, I could use a little understanding, but listen, guys, you got to be right with your wife. And here's what spouses do. Well, if she will do this, I will do that. Listen, that's not the way it works. What did it say to the ladies? If you get your heart right, guess what? God will see and he'll see. Even if he's lost, even if he's a rascal. Your, your attitude and your response and your heart will cause his eyes to be open to the reality of Christ in your life. Amen. So husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife. 
Everyone say honor to the wife. Woo! Now, ladies, this might freak you out a little bit for all you that are, you know, power to the, to the female. Giving honor to your wife as to the weaker vessel. Now, I don't know all the reference there, but I think it's primarily pretty much physiological. I just can't, uh, I don't think, I don't think Peter's trying to say you're emotionally weak, spiritually weak, you know, in any other way. But by and large, in fact, uh, there's some things that women are trying to accomplish in the military that they just can't seem, the, the, I mean, it's just obvious, you know, that the women can pass, pass the test because they're just physiologically different. And let me ask you guys, aren't you glad? Guys, aren't you glad? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it just kind of freak you out a little bit if your wife walked in and go, Hey, Aaron, how you doing? You better take out the trash. I'm going to whoop your no, you know what? I mean, good Lord. That, man, I appreciate feminine. How do you say it? Femininity. Femininity is that right? <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, but listen, guys, it, it's give honor and understanding. Because here, here we go, ladies, guys, here it is. Because we're heirs together. Everyone say heirs together. We're in this thing together. We got to get our hearts right with one another. Okay. Uh, because we're heirs together of the grace of life. And listen to this, guys, that your prayers be not hindered. Okay. So I'm going to come back to these illustrations and make a bigger point. So don't think I'm just butchering this and go, man, he could have said a lot more there. Uh, I'm coming back to that. I'm, I'm building to a point here. Uh, and so, so he says, you got to get your relationships right with one another. You got to get your heart right with one another, husbands and wives. And then it says in verse eight, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be, be courteous. It's, it's relationships, not just with husband and wife and, and wife and husband, but brother to brother, sister to sister, all of you. Get your relationships right. Get right with God and with others. This is so vitally important. Everyone said we got to be right with God and others. And then if you look down in verse 16, he begins talking about relationships with unbelievers or people who are not a part of the church and, and, and maybe unchurched people and people even our enemies. Verse 16, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, Speaking of people who are, are, are the unrighteous or, uh, uh, people who, who are, are, are evil or whatever. It says, uh, it says in verse 16, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ, that they may be ashamed. For it's better if, if it is, if it is the will of God to, if it is, if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good, than for doing evil. So what's he saying? You got to have a right heart towards the, those who are out to hurt you. You know, Jesus said that. What do we do with our enemies? We're to what? Love our enemies and pray for them. Look in chapter four, verse three and, uh, really verse three and four. For we have spent enough of our pastime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness and lust and drunkenness and revelries and drinking parties and abominable idolatries in regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. In other words, you, they're wondering, they're, they're just bizarre. They're just blown away that you don't know 
no longer smoke, chew, or go with the girls that do. And so what he's saying is you have a responsibility before lost humanity to have a right heart towards God and towards them. Sadly, a lot of people are scared of lost people. They're fearful of lost people. They don't like lost people. And let me just tell you, uh, we should never be haters. We don't, hey, don't get on Facebook and go hating on the homosexual agenda. Stand up for truth and righteousness. Amen. Amen. But God loves everybody. Are you with me? And so, so we see Peter here when he, after he says, man, you got to live this life that honors God in this journey from here to there. And if you want to do so, you got to be rightly related with God and with those that God puts in your life. You got to have a right heart. So with that in mind, that was just, that's the context. Here's a big Bible truth for you. Oh, I wish it was on PowerPoint. The big idea. If your heart isn't right with God, pardon me. If your heart isn't right with your husband or wife or all others, your heart is not right with God. If you're not right with your spouse, if your heart's not right with your husband, if your heart's not right with your wife, if your heart's not right with anybody else, your heart's not right with God. Are you with me? Let me show this to you in the three, uh, uh, really the three in the, the, really the three illustrations, husband and wife, and then brother to brother, and then believers to non-believers. Look in verse five. Look at back in verse five in reference to wives. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Now, did you see the, the parallel there? The, 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 the women who trusted in God also were submissive to their husbands. They work hand in hand. Right with God, right with husband. Right with husband, right with God. Are you with me? They go hand in hand. So if you're not right with your husband, you're not right with God. And, and then it tells, hey, hey husbands, verse seven, you, you better in fact, guys, I'd study these words here if I were you. To honor your wife is not just flowers on Valentine's Day. It's way beyond that. Or what, Josh, what was your first real uncaring gift you got? Josh, a shoe rack. Josh didn't know much about. Hey, hey, guys, how many of you didn't know very much when you got married? I, Josh, I pick on Josh because he's so, his first Christmas, he gave Laura a shoe rack for Christmas. It did not go over well. No, I did not go. And Laura, how has he gotten so much better? In fact, what did he do with your pedicure? He bought you a pedicure? Yeah, a spa package. And then because she would not uh, make the, the appointment, he made the appointment for her and set up babysitters and everything. Get, come on, blow it up, Josh. Boom, boom. There you go. All right. It's way more than that kind of stuff. Uh, but look, guys, what it said, that your prayers be not hindered. In fact, that word hinders pretty stout. It's like torn down, pulled. I mean, guys, if you're not right with your wife, if you are, if you are abusing your wife, listen, if you are not honoring her, if you are, if you are not dwelling with her with understanding and giving honor to this wife, uh, and, and, and realizing we're in this thing together, your prayers are hitting brass. They're going nowhere. You are not right with God. And so 
the, 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 the overarching principle is true. If our heart isn't right with our spouse, our heart's not right with God. Okay? Now, look in verse, uh, 12. Verse, tw- oh, let me, uh, let me give you the context here. Remember verse 8? Finally, all of you be of one mind and have compassion on one another as brothers. Be tender hearted, be courteous, not reviling evil for evil, uh, uh, or, or evil to evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Uh, and that's words that you speak to people, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. In verse 10, he says, For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Everybody say, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Now, let me build the content, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, what's the context here? Relationships with others. Don't you let your relationship get polluted with other people. Don't, 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 uh, uh, return evil for evil. You know, Peter wrote that. How many of you know what he, what he endeavored to do with the guy uh, with the soldier, when they came to take Jesus, he cut off his ear. I think his name was Malchus. You know, Malchus was a was was a lucky guy. Well, you know, he was a he was a blessed guy because I don't think Peter was looking to cut off his ear. Where was he going for with the sword? I'm gonna cut off his head. I'm gonna do. I'm doing damage. He missed. Cut off his ear. Jesus put it back on. Ta-da! I'm sure Malchus went around and said, "Look at that. Interesting." But he, what was he doing? He was, he was being defensive. He was, he was returning evil for evil. And, and, and Peter says, don't do that. Don't be real. And if you do, and here's the, here's the issue. If you do, and if you follow, if you let your lips refrain from evil and, and you don't, and you seek peace and pursue it, he's talking about with others. That's the context is with other people. His ear is open to your prayers. He hears your prayers if you're right, if you're living right with others. But you know what he does? He said, if you, if you don't do that, the, the face of the Lord is against you. So the big principle here is this. When he says, you gotta get your heart right with God and man, the, the, the big principle is this. If you're not right in your heart with others, you are not right in your heart with God. Now that's a law of the universe. You need to understand that. In fact, there's other, I wish I could, uh, somebody could help me. Uh, I won't belabor this, but it, there's a scripture that says, if you bring an offering, if you're going to bring an offering for, to God and you have an ought against your brother, you lay your offering down, go get right with your brother, and then you bring your offering to God. Because if you bring an offering to God and you're not right with your brother, your offering is, it's, it is not acceptable to God. He resists that. Are you with me? Amen. So, so that's the big Bible truth. Now, let me give you a piggyback big idea, and we're going to, then I'm going to give you some, some overall arching thoughts from chapter three and four. Here's the kind of, I'm piggybacking on that big idea, and that is this. Right-heartedness with God and man will carry you through the times of suffering. Being right or righteous, because he said, he called us the righteous for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Those who are right with God and right with man. Husbands and wives, brothers, sisters. He said, 
he, he said, if you're right with God, guess what? That right-heartedness will carry you. Those relationships will carry you through the times of suffering. Now, remember the context. These Christians were suffering. If you go back to verse 1, he said, if need be, you're greatly, uh, he said, uh, in this, he said, uh, if need be, you're grieved through various trials. You're, you're going through things. We know that. You're suffering. It's only temporary. Everybody say it's only temporary. But, but in the context of this getting right with husbands and wives and brothers and sisters, he starts talking about, uh, the, the, the road of suffering, uh, and just quickly, uh, because you get right with God and man, it'll carry you through these things. How many of you want to get through it? How many of you don't want to sit around with a burr under your saddle and get cross-haired all the rest of your days and never get through it and get stuck. No, you want to get through it. You get right with God and man and you'll get through this stuff. Everybody say we're going through this stuff. Look, look quickly and then, and then we'll move on. Look in verse 13 and 14 of, of chapter 3. He says this, after he says the face of the Lord is against those who do evil and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you suffer for righteousness sake, you are what? You're blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled. Don't let this trouble you. Hey, listen, you, you, you'll, you'll find that if you'll get, stay right with God and right with man, even in the big, in the face of great adversity, that's good. You will be what? Blessed. Somebody say blessed. That, oh, I love that. And so he's saying, listen, you stay right with God. And if you, it, his ear will be open to your prayer. Okay. His eyes will be upon you. His ear will be open to your prayer. And guess what? Even if you go through these things and you are, you are blessed. Don't be afraid of the threats, their threats, nor be troubled. Right relationship with God, man, will carry you through the times of suffering and the times of struggle. Look in verse 18 through 21. He hits it again. For Christ also suffered once for this, for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, and watched the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah. I know that's a mouthful, but the, but, just remember, he's talking about, hey, Jesus suffered too, and don't, don't think it's strange. He said, while the ark was being prepared in a few, that, that is, eight souls were saved through water. And he's talking about that's kind of like baptism. You were baptized, uh, and, uh, uh, he's just drawing an illustration there. Verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers have been made subject to him. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, verse 1, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And there, now, there's a lot there. It's, it's detailed, and we could dig into it. But really, what he's saying here is, Jesus suffered, now he's in heaven. Guess what? It's only temporary, and you, you're suffering, but you need to understand it's only temporary. In the end, you'll be in heaven. Somebody say amen. All right. And then, gosh... One more thought. Look down in verse 12 of chapter 4. 
Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be, be glad with exceeding joy. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, somebody say, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer, as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will it, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of Christ? Now, if the righteous once is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. Hey, again, a lot there. But in this context, listen, don't let this, this temporary suffering get you out of sorts with people and with God. Are you with me? Because right-heartedness with God and man will carry, carry you through the times of suffering. Amen? So, with that in mind, I'm going to look at these two chapters and I'm going to talk about the heartbeat of the righteous. Everyone say the heartbeat of the righteous. I'm going to give you five thoughts. Uh, in fact, verse 12, if you go back to chapter 3, it's kind of the theme of this last part. Part He says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. We talked about the fact that we've got to have our hearts right. Wives, you... Your heart has to be right with your husband. Husband, your heart has to be right with your wife. And all of us have to have our hearts right with one another in the family. And then we've got to have a right heart towards those who even would hurt us and harm us and our enemies. We've got to be right-hearted. So, so here you go. And we're going to look at, the, we're going to just pick out some thoughts here. Uh, and so the heartbeat of the righteous is best heard or best evidenced or best expressed. In five ways that I see. Number one, in our attitudes. Everyone say our attitudes. The heartbeat of the righteous is best expressed in our attitudes. Everyone say attitudes. Now, let me just go through them here. Let me show you. I'm just going to hit it real quick. I'm going to show you how Peter is saying you, you get your tude, you better get your attitude straight with God and man, okay? And, and righteousness, a right heart, the heartbeat of the righteous is his best expressed by the way uh, our attitudes of life. Look in verse 4 of, uh, of uh, chapter 3. It says, Rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the in incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. He said, your attitude, your right heart is expressed in your attitude, how you carry yourself with those around you, not just with husbands and wives, but with everyone. Look in verse, oh gosh, verse seven and eight in reference to the husband and others. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, 
giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life. It's talking about the way our attitude is towards our spouse and really towards others. Our, the, our righteousness, our right relationship is with God and man and God and our, our loved ones is best expressed with how, with our attitudes of life. Verse 15, look at this. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. What's he talking about? An attitude of hope about eternity. And that's, that's a, that's an expression. That's an attitude of a righteous heart. All right. Look in verse, oh gosh, down to, well, chapter four, verse one. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind and really the same attitude about suffering. All right. Look in verse eight and nine. Above all things, this is chapter four. Above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Look at verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Everybody say without grumbling. Have you ever met anybody doing something good but with a sour attitude? How many of you just rather them go home? Just go home. If you're, if you're, if you're trying to do something good, but you're grumbling about it, just go home. Everybody say, just go home. Good Lord. Go home. Take a chill pill. Do something, man. But don't bring that tood into a place of opportunity where we're supposed to be serving God and loving others. Amen? Are you with me? Woo! It's in our attitude. He said, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Uh, look in verse 13 and 14. Uh, but re now, uh, here's an attitude with suffering. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Everybody go, hallelujah! hallelujah. In other words, it's your attitude. How do you handle the troubled times? How do you what comes creeping up in you in the troubled times? Well, if you've got a right heart with God and man, grumbling's not going to pop up. Fear's not going to pop up. Joy's going to pop up. Patience is going to pop up. Love is going to pop up. Understanding's going to pop up. Care and concern is going to pop up because that's who you, your heart's right with God and man. It's revealed by the attitudes of life. And if, hey, if you're always dealing with an attitude, it did, hey, you can't blame your mom and daddy forever for goodness sake. Or your boss. Or your wife, or your teacher, or your pastor. So, hey, the heartbeat of the righteous is best heard and expressed by way of our attitudes. And then number two, here's another one, goes right along with it, by our words. What comes out of our mouth? Before I show you this in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, what does the scripture say about our words? Out of the abundance of what? The heart, the mouth speaks. Everybody say, out of our hearts is what we speak. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And listen, if you got issues in your heart, no matter how hard you try to bite your tongue, before long, it'll come bubbling up. 
Are you with me? Like a, a E.V. Hill told the story. He was helping a guy work on his car and this, one of the deacons, he busted his thumb up real bad. And, and he went, oh! He said, oh, you all right? He said, yes, sir, I'm all right. He said, but something sure ought to be said right about now. How many of you know what I'm talking about? He said, something sure needs to be said right now. And, and because, hey, sometimes it's in our heart. With our words, out of the abundance of the heart, and the mouth speaks. Now go back to, to uh, chapter 3, verse uh, 8, 9, and 10. Look what he says. After he says, you've got to be right-hearted with one another. He says, verse 9, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary. Everyone say, on the contrary. In other words, conversely, don't be this way, but be that way. Conversely, blessing. Everybody say blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Now, he's not talking about money, houses, and lands. He's talking about our words. When, you, when, that, when he says blessing right there, he's talking about, and rather than speaking evil and, and speaking reviling, you, if you're right with God and man, you're going to speak blessing on people. Amen. This morning I was riding my bike. And how many of you know pedestrians always have the right of way? And I'm in, I'm just cruising along and I hear a big old blah, 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 blah truck coming up, but I know I'm right at a stop sign. So I'm in the right. And so he blah, 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 come up. So I'm right at close to the stop sign. I just cut across and keep going because I know he has to stop. So I'm riding along, he stops and then pulls by, and I'm just loving Jesus and everything. And I hear this guy, big look like Grizzly Adam, stuck his head out the wind in the pasture side and reviled me. And my flesh rose up, and if I'd had a chance, I'd probably reviled him back and probably got my hiney whooped right there in the neighborhood. But, uh, but I just, mm, it was just, ooh, I realized, ooh, something ought to have been said right there. And so, so, as I was riding along, I went, that's kind of funny. In, in reality, uh, bless his heart. I just blessed him. Lord, bless him. Bless him, Lord. Real good. Bless him, Jesus. In fact, let's bless him right now. Whoever he is, Lord, bless him, Jesus. Speak a blessing. He said, in fact, listen, this is your calling. You're not called to criticize. You're not called to critique. We're not called to curse and, and undermine with our words. And let me tell you something. The, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Not true. They do. They're the, they're the worst thing you can whip out on anybody is your negative words, your mean words, your critiquing words, your cruel words. Hey, it's time to crucify that stuff because you weren't called to that. We were called to be a blessing with our words. We bless people with our words. We speak words of grace upon people. Amen. It's our words, the power of our words. And he says, he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. And let him turn away from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. In other words, you can't let, you got to, you know, James says no man can tame the tongue. Read, is it James 3? James 3 about the tongue. You read it. In fact, I don't have time. I'd quote somebody. Uh, well, I'll do it. I said I could, uh, Robert Morris did a deal on the tongue. He said, you know, there are different kinds of people. There are people that 
that speak or think before they speak. That's the best way, right? Before I say anything, I better think. Then there are people who think while they speak. That's where I hit most of the time. That can get you in trouble. It's kind of a little, while I'm, I'm doing it right now. While I'm thinking, I'm speaking. It's kind of a trick. <laughs> and then there are people who think after they speak. You went, oops, should have never said that. And then there's a the fourth kind. They just speak and never think. You don't want to be that. But, but what, what's Peter saying here? Hey, if you're right with God, it'll affect the way you talk. If you got your heart right, it'll affect the way you talk. And you'll realize I'm called to be a blessing. Okay. My words are powerful. Let him turn away from evil. And really the context is words and how we deal with other people with our tongue and do good. Man, we're talking about, I'm going to bless people. Are you with me? Amen. In fact, you got somebody you got issue with. What is the, in fact, what did Jesus say we do with our enemies? We pray for them. Speak, bless them. Bless them. Amen. Our words. Heartbeat of the righteous is best heard by way of our attitudes and best expressed by way of our attitudes and, and by our words. And then number three, the heartbeat of the righteous, those that are right with God and right with man, uh, their heartbeat is best expressed and best heard by way of, of our priorities. What's the priorities of our life? When you look at your priorities, it'll, it'll reveal what's in your heart. How many of you know I can look at your checkbook and see what the priorities of life are? God can look not on our checkbook, He can look in our heart. He looks and whatever our priorities are is what's inside our heart. Amen? You know, if, 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 well, I, I don't have time to give out, you know, you're here tonight, but other people have other priorities, right? And they say they love Jesus. They say they love the church. They say they love lost people, but their priorities do not reflect that. Let's, let me show you this. Verse 11. He said this, uh, uh, in chapter, did I say verse 11? Uh, uh, no, it's not verse 11. It's verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God. That's separate. Cause to be holy. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Uh, in other words, make Him top priority in your heart. Are you with me? You see, this is, this, this is the heartbeat of the righteous is revealed in priorities. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So we see priorities at work here. What, what is it? The priority, uh, of, of, of being right with God and my relationship with God and I'm setting Him apart in my life. He's, he's the top priority. He is Lord. Everybody say, He is Lord. It's revealed. The heartbeat of the righteous is revealed by the priorities of our life. Look in verse uh, uh, 4, verse 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know what he's saying here? Hey, whatever you do, do it to give glory and honor to God. Let that be the top priority of your life. And, and so we see Peter bringing uh, the priority of honoring God and the priority of blessing God. And, and, and look in verse 19, the last of chapter 4. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God 
commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. Man, that's the priority of my life. I want to bless Him. He's faithful to me. I'm committed my soul, my life to do good. That's the priority of my life. Listen, if you're going to be right with God and man, it will show up in, in the priorities of your life. And I always ask people, what's your priorities? And as we've learned Sunday morning about kind of the, the starting blocks of the Jesus journey, it always begins with sacrifice. The priority of our life can't be... In fact, have you ever anybody never read the Purpose Driven Life? I don't know what you know about Rick Warren, but don't read, don't believe everything you read on the internet. You ought to read the Purpose Driven Life. It's a great book. It'll help you get focused and help you get purpose driven. It's a great book. Don't let anybody lie to you about that. And the first st statement in that book is, "It's not about you. Your purpose is not about you." Amen. And so. The priorities of life. The heartbeat of the righteous is best revealed and best expressed by our attitudes, by our words, by our priorities. And number four, by our prayers. Look in verse, chapter three, verse 12. What does he say? The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their what? Prayers. Right, right hearted people are in fellowship with God at the place of prayer. Prayer, prayer, prayer becomes a lifestyle. Amen. Prayer becomes a, it's, it's a habit of life. It's a lifestyle uh, of communication with God and, and building relationship with God. Look what he says in chapter four, verse seven. I love this. Everybody say, ooh, mark this down. It says, but the end of all things is at hand. I believe that. Listen, I didn't preach the series that I did called, called Doomsday Preppers, preparing your life and family for the end of days just cause it was cute. I believe, I know biblically we're living in the last days. And it seems like God is hastening the time clock. And, and we, we could see the end of this whole thing wind up in our lifetime. You need to understand that. And so Peter comes along and he's, and he's, because he's telling them, Hey, this place, this is all temporary. He said, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your what? Prayers. You know, we started this Wednesday. Jim did us a great service in leading us in prayer. It's Warrior Wednesday. But listen, that's just to kickstart us into a lifestyle of prayer. We've Hey, be serious and watchful in your prayers. The heartbeat of the righteous is best heard. By their prayer life. Are they praying? Are you praying? Are you, are you consistent? And then finally, the heartbeat of the righteous, those that are right with God and man, is best heard and best expressed by way of our service to God and others. Look what he says in verse 10 of chapter 4. As each of you has received a gift, minister it to one another. That's serving. The context of minister, it's from the Greek word diakoneo, I think, which is where we get the word deacon, which is servant. As you have received a gift, and that, that gift is something from God to give others. Let me just stop and say, this is not totally the context here, but all of us have something to offer. God did not gift us. Uh, he, well, let me say, God did gift us. He's given us gifts. 
spiritual gifts, abilities, talents, uh, methodologies, ways and means to help others. He said, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. And so our right-heartedness is best reflected, best expressed, and best heard by how we serve God and others. Amen? So that's chapter 3 and 4. Now, I didn't get everything, but uh, it's, it's thematic. I, I see. Let me build it for you. Chapter 1 and 2, it's only temporary. Come on. We're on our way to heaven. We've got the power of the Word of God. Chapter 2, so we've got to live a life that honors God. If we're going to do that, we've got to be right with God and man. We've got to live a... Our heart has to be right. And so we're, we're headed into that life. And you can't get into that life if you're always dealing with the issues of this life. Get it straight. Get it right. Be right with God. Be able to stand before Him in that day and hear Him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over this. Over these few things, I'm going to give you much. Everybody said amen. Well, there you go. Amen. That's just easy to do, right? No, it's a challenge. So as we close tonight, let me see how far I went over. 820, not bad. Let's stand. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Put your hand on your heart. Just say, Jesus. Help this word pierce my heart so I can be right with you and right with others. Husbands, we've got to be right with our wives. Wives, we've got to be right with our husbands. Our heart has to be right. We've got to be right with others. If you've got issues with others, you've got to get it right. Lay your offering down. Go get right with them. And come follow me. Give your offering in Jesus' name, Lord, help us. Everybody said amen. As we close tonight, let me give you one quick story. Last Sunday, Sunday, the Jesus journey. I said this from the baptismal. I said it later. I said this from the baptismal. I gave illustration of how friends bring friends to church. We invite people, and I use Lindsay and, and Kimberly and how that all worked together and how just getting people in the house. And so we friends will bring their friends to church. And there was one of our young guys who's just getting his life straight and trying to work life out. He had told his friend that he's coming to get him for church. Well, they had all been at the beach, and they came home uh, from the beach and went to the house and got busy and then they all were late and they're coming to church and they get to church and they hear me say that and this boy says, give me the keys to the car. What? I got to go get so-and-so. I told him I'd bring him to church because he heard me say, friends bring friends to church. He left church and went and 
dug his friend up out of bed and got him here. He sat right there where Laura Beth was, maybe back uh, where y'all are. But uh, when I gave the invitation, the first moment I gave the invitation, he raised his hand right up. And he walked right over there. And he got born again. I'm telling you, it works. It works. And so let's be busy about the Father's business. Let's keep bringing them and let's fill this place and see people get born again every Sunday, every day. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for letting me, uh, let me spout off tonight. Love you. We'll see you Sunday morning. Oh, I'm excited about Sunday morning. Uh, I've, in fact, I, I'm, ooh, it's, it's going to be good. God bless you. Have a great week.